All right, so <coughs> we are on the sovereignty of God. I was going to ask you guys if you wanted to go over the questions on the seity of God. It's up to you guys if you want to go. We didn't, we didn't have time to go over the questions. Or we can just jump straight into the sovereignty of God. Jump, you, jump. Just jump right into the sovereignty <laughs> of God? All right. All right, we can do that. We can do that. <laughs> All right, so I have got a quote that, to start us out, and it's from Charles Spurgeon. So Spurgeon says this, There is no attribute that's more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances and the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There's nothing for which the children ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God and his right, and his right to set upon that throne. On the other hand, there is no doctrine more hated by worldlings no truth of which they have made such a football as the great, stupendous, but yet most certain doctrine of the sovereignty of the infinite Jehovah. Men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. They will allow him to be in his workshop to fashion worlds and make stars. They will allow him to be in his almary to dispense his alms and bestow his bounties. They will allow him to sustain the earth and bear up the pillars thereof or light the lamps of heaven or rule the waves of the ever-moving ocean. But when God ascends his throne, his creatures then gnash their teeth. We we are, and we proclaim an enthroned God and his right to do as he wills with his own to dispose of his creatures as he thinks well without consulting them in that matter. Then it is that we are hissed and, ex, and excreted, and then it is that men turn a deaf ear to us, for God is on his throne, is not the God they love. But it is God upon the throne that we love to preach. It is God upon his throne that we trust, whom, we, whom that we trust. Charles Spurgeon. So, Spurgeon, the prince of preachers gets us started off here and he's got some some pretty good things to say and I think that what he says is right here because this is one of the probably most comforting doctrines that I can possibly teach uh, when I began to study the sovereignty of God and understand the sovereignty of God there was really nothing that gave me more comfort and at the on the other hand as he points out here it is one of the most controversial doctrines because so many people want to fight against the, the sovereignty of God. They want to say, well, you know, that's not fair. And there's all kinds of other things that is said when it comes to God being on his throne. And we understand that God is sovereign over all of his creatures. He's the one that created us. And so we are, the first point here says we are about to wade into the deep end of what is perhaps the most beautiful, most misunderstood, and most controversial attribute of God. And it really shouldn't be. It really shouldn't be. Because I think the sovereignty of God is something that is pretty clear. 
I think the reason that there's controversy and, re and reason that there is debate is because it goes back to what we've been teaching in this class, that many men try to make God in their image, or they try to make a God that they want, or a God that they like, rather than the God of the scriptures, right? And so what we want to do is to know him, to know who he truly is. And whenever we start to see who he truly is and understand him, then it is a very beautiful thing and a very comforting thing. But it's something that sometimes goes against our nature. It sometimes goes against our nature. Because some of us have placed limitations on God and but because we've ascribed our own attributes to him. And that's something that's easy to do. <coughs> Now, the next point says, there are different opinions concerning the degree to which God is sovereign. People can get very passionate about this subject. <laughs> We're going to approach this from a biblical perspective. So, this is a, a subject that has split churches. This is a, a subject that has caused friendships to be divided. I mean, it really is something that is very controversial. It should not be because we are all striving for the same thing. We're all striving to know God. And the truth <laughs> is the truth, right? That's, that should always be our greatest desire. It's not to prove ourselves right or not to want to prove what we believe or our point or argue a point just because it's our point. But we want to to see what scripture actually says and actually know who God really is. And that way we can be humble and say, well, God, if I'm wrong in this area, then please show me, please change me. Because believe me, there, my um, view of the sovereignty of God has done a 180 in my Christian life. I've gone from one side to the other. And, um, and so that was a very difficult journey for me and one that I was in denial about for a few years. But you can't really argue with Scripture when you start getting down into it, and that's where, what it boils down to, is I start looking at Scripture and going, you know, maybe my idea about God wasn't right. I want to believe what's right about God, because that is my greatest treasure, is the truth. And that's what we're always after in this class, is to know what is true. So the next point says, remember that truth is not relative. The reason for any argument should be to find the reality of what is true rather than what we want the truth to be. With this in mind, please have patience, grace, and humility as we dive in. And I've got a quote from Steve Lawson. It says, this is the foundational truth of all of, all of Christian theology, that God is and the God that is, is the God who reigns. He actively reigns and presides over the, enti the entirety of his created order. Um, so I think that's a good quote from Steve Lawson. And he's got, Lawson, if you guys want to do any more studying on the attributes of God, he's one of the guys that I recommend. He, uh, he's got a, a video lesson on the attributes of God that I, I think it's, I don't know, 10 or or 12 lessons long, about 30 minutes each. Uh, but he goes through a lot of these that we've been going through. He just goes through them really quick, right? And he covers them really good because he gives you a real good base understanding, but it is a really good little uh, class to go through. Uh, I do recommend Steve Lawson. He's, a, he's an excellent preacher. I really like him. So the next point says, all Christians agree that God is sovereign. We disagree 
on to what extent. We disagree on to what extent. And we're going to begin to wade into this a little bit de deeper whenever we get over a couple of pages into soteriology. Because that, whenever you get into soteriology, which is the doctrine of how that one is saved, that's where things, that's where st rocks start getting thrown. <laughs> that's where people start getting upset. And so <clears throat> we're going to get, we're going to get there and we're going to try to go through and look at different views. And we're going to see how that this is really a secondary issue. And that's one of the things that we need to understand. Secondary issue, because the primary issue is that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the only way. That's the only way. And speaking of that, I want to start us out in Romans chapter 5. And I just want to read real quick in Romans chapter 5. Talking about justification. So Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. And then it goes on, it says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, through Jesus Christ. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. That's the gospel, guys. That is the primary issue, is the gospel. This is something that we cannot disagree on. Um, we are saved in, by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. That's the gospel. There is no other way to have eternal life. It is through Jesus Christ only. There is no other way. And it is by God's grace, His amazing grace that Rick preached about this morning and Brandon's been preaching about the last few weeks. It's not something that we did. We can't earn it. We can't do, do enough. We can't be good enough. We can't be impressive to a perfect God. All we can do is stand as sinners before a holy God and say, I have faith in Jesus Christ, your son who died for me, whose blood was shed for me because I should have been the one on the cross, right? But he took my sins upon himself. That's the gospel. And we cannot divide over that. But the, when we start talking about the sovereignty of God, this is a secondary issue. We can divide on it. And there's churches that believe the gospel on what that I just just read and just talked about, but they're they're going to have different ideas as to what extent that God is sovereign, and that's okay. 
but it should never be something that drives us into um, division, right? I, um, you know, it's interesting. I don't want to be knocking the ESV because I can't find my Bible spot having ESV. <laughs> um, and, um, <coughs> verse 6, for while we were still hopeless, and this version says while we were still weak, to me that puts a different slant on it. It does, yeah. And so it's just, I caught that and I thought, well, what are they saying? But it does show to what I think people are trying to say yeah. when they translate. Yeah. 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 The ESV is an okay version. It's okay. It's you know it was, it's a it's a word for word translation, just like the NASB or the King James or the New King James. But it was done by all Reformed theologians. Um, I would put myself in the camp of being Reformed, but I don't really trust a Bible who is entirely written by one group of people that's in the same denomination. That's why that I like the the New American Standard Bible. That's what I read out of the NASB because it's uh, there is people from every denomination that was a part of that. And so it's a good word for word translation. They're both good. I just prefer this one because there are little things in the ESV like that that kind of bother me. Yeah, it also doesn't point out in the e, in the ESV whenever you start talking about imputation and how that sin was imputed to us uh, it's in verse it's in uh, verse 12 no 13 what is your so my verse 13 says for until the law sin was in the world but sin is not imputed when there is no law what does your say it's similar for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given but sin was not counted where there was no yeah so counted and imputed are two totally different things you know so counted is one thing. Imputed means something's placed upon you, right? Yeah. So there's there's some stronger words here, and and this is more of a of a, a I think a better translation of the Greek. So that's a sidebar. <laughs> yeah. It's curious that if it's if it was translated solely by reformed people, that they would pick helpless over or weak over helpless. I know it's strange, Wouldn't isn't you it? Think it'd be the other way around. You're right. It, it is strange. There's some strange things in there that I go, huh, when I read it. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not knocking it either. It's a it's a fine translation. There's just better. There's just better versions. You know, um, uh, I have an ESV. I think I have two of them, and and I read them sometimes. So I'm not I'm not knocking it. Saying don't read the ESV. Don't mistake me. You know, Brandon reads out of the ESV. He loves the ESV, and it's a fine version. It, it is. It is. So. Um, so this is something that, that we can divide on, but it's, um, but it, we should never disfellowship one another. You know, it's really sinful and prideful when it comes to, to the point to where we have to be right, to the point to where we say, well, I'm just going to prove my point, and for anybody who disagrees with me, I just don't want to talk to them. And so many people do that, and it's a tragedy, because we're all Christians, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ, one day we're all going to be together in heaven. And so for Christians to divide over a secondary issue is something that I think is tragic. So, so on page 99 it says, one of the first things we should understand is that men do not reign. Men do not reign. And that's what Lawson was talking about there. And I've got some verses. Psalm. 103.19. Rick, would you read that? Uh, just out of your booklet, is that okay? Yeah. 
The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Yeah, that's that's an important word. His sovereignty rules over all. <laughs> over all. You can underline that. Psalm 93.1. Who wants to read that one? The Lord reigns. He is closed with majesty. The Lord reigns. He reigns. He is clothed with majesty. Psalm 96.10. Who wants to read that one? Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. Psalm 97.1. Who wants to read that one? The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. The Lord reigns. We're starting to get an idea here, right? <laughs> Psalm 99.1. Steve, would you read that one? The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim for let the earth shake. You know, that it, it's, this, this, is, this is kind of interesting the way that this is worded. The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. Let the people tremble. Right? Why, why do you think the people tremble? of people so immense. <laughs> yeah. They should tremble. They tremble because he's alive. Yeah. Fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It is. Whew. Man. Man, it is. You're right. Whenever, you know, in this life, there's arguments you can win. I've won arguments before. I know you guys have won arguments. Do you think you're going to win an argument with the Lord? <laughs> or do you think what he says goes? Right? There's a reason that people tremble here. Because you can't persuade God. You can't tell God that he's doing something wrong. You can't tell God how to do things. You can't say, well, God, I would have done it this way. Right? <laughs> That's just a fool's errand, right? That shows somebody's foolishness to try to stand and try to sway God in some way. God is perfectly holy, and He's perfectly sovereign. And so, it is something that is scary, because if we are outside of the blood of Jesus Christ, then there's no reasoning, there's no amount of begging and pleading, there's no amount of, of reasoning or persuasion or anything that's going to cause God to change his mind about what he's going to do to those who are outside of the faith, right? It's something scary. And some and another, even we tremble as Christians because we understand that God, ch he chastises those that he loves. And so we know that God sometimes brings things into our lives that are difficult. And... Uh, that's not an easy thing. It's not an easy lesson. But you know, sometimes we are hard-headed, and we have to learn the same lesson over and over again. I try to say, you know, whenever I'm going through something, I try to say, God, what am, what are you teaching me through this, right? Because you know, it's easy for us to get so focused on our problems or so focused on whatever tragic things happening in our lives, instead of stopping for a second and say, you know, God is sovereign over this. He's in control. What is he trying to teach me here? What is he trying to teach those who are involved? What's he trying to show us? And to take a step back and say, you know what? There's a lesson here. 
There's a lesson here in trying to learn that. There's a lesson in everything in life, whether it's good or bad. There's always a lesson. You can learn from everything. I say, you know, I, I can learn from a really good preacher. I can learn from a really bad preacher. You know, sometimes I'll, I told, I've said it a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes me and Nikki listen to bad sermons, and we learn from those. We know they're bad, and we listen to them intentionally because we go, oh, you know, and it, caught, it sharpens us, right? It sharpens us. We're learning. So there's a learning lesson in everything. And so that's an important thing for us to know. So the next thing says, chance does not rain. Now, how many people's heard that? It's by chance. <laughs> The world came into existence by chance, right? I'm sure you guys have heard that. You've heard um, heard chance. So the question says, what is chance? What is chance? And that's an important question. What is chance? Does it have being to it? It's nothing. Chance is nothing. Has no power. Right? There's no power, no being. It's not a person. Right? So that's an important thing for us to understand. And I've got an example here in First Samuel 6, 1 through 9. I'll probably have somebody read this. Um, but First Samuel, this is where that the Ark of the Covenant had been captured, if you guys remember. It was captured by the Philistines and taken into their camp. And so here, they're basically doing an experiment. The Philistines do an experiment to see if there is a such thing as chance or if there is truly a God. If there is truly a God. First Samuel, Samuel 6, 1 through 9. Rick, would you read that? Sure. Now the ark of the Lord had been in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we shall send it to its place. They said, If you send it away, the ark of the God of Israel, or excuse me, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but you shall surely return it to him with guilt offerings. Then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, what shall the gift offering which we shall return to him? And they said, five golden tumors and five golden mice according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For one plague was on all of you and all on, on all your lords. So you shall make a lightness of your tumors and lightnesses of the, your mice that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to God of Israel. Perhaps he will ease his hand from you, your gods and your land. Why then do you burden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he had severely dealt with them? Did they not allow the people to go, and they departed? Now, therefore, take and prepare a new cart with two milch cows on which they have never had a yoke, and hitch the cows to the cart, and take their calves home, away from them. Take the ark of the Lord and place it on the cart, and put the articles of gold which you returned to him as a guilt offering and a box by its side. Then send away that it may go. Watch if it goes up by the way of its own territory to Beth Shemesh. Then he has done us a great evil. But if not, then we will know that it is not his hand that has struck us. It happened to us by chance. <laughs> so here's an experiment. 
is this God or did this happen to us by chance right so the Philistines here they decide to have an experiment was it by chance that bad things have happened to us or were those bad things brought upon us by God right and so there they put this offering just in case just in case it's God we're going we're gonna to put this offering on here because we want to please him. We want to appease him because we're sick and dying. And our altars are getting destroyed and all that kind of stuff. And so is this chance happening? Is that chance? Are you up there somewhere? Or is it God? Right? And so that's what's going on. And so the question here is what is at the heart of this experiment? What is at the heart of this experiment, guys? What do you think? I, I just the thing that I like about the experiment is they make it where it's not likely that the ark will return to Israel. Yeah. So they make it where it's not going to show this chance at all. And so yeah, I think they go the extra mile to say because these cats should have not gone anywhere. That's right, because they're milking, right? Yeah. <laughs> it goes against their nature. Yep. That's right. That's right. I think what's at the at the heart of this thing is really atheism, atheism versus God, because that's what atheists believe is you know this thing came into existence by chance. It's not something. There's not a really a, a God involved in all this. We're just these random particles that somehow perfectly aligned and everything fine tuned itself to a to a perfect degree, and you know we are here by chance, just some random cosmic accident, and. Um, that makes perfect sense, right? It really takes more faith to believe that, right? It takes more faith to believe that. So that's the next question on page 100 says, why atheism? Why atheism? And that's just a rhetorical question. This, you know, it's the same question that all, all atheists wrestle with at one time or the other. Is there a God or is this just here by chance? And of course, then they set out to prove because they love their sins, that there is no God. And so they start believing in something that is absurd. So it's really absurd that things happened just by chance. That something came from nothing <laughs> because you gave it enough time. right? So some of this stuff is crazy. So the next point says, There is no such thing as chance. Chance has no being, no substance. Chance is a word used by those who do not understand that there is a sovereign God who ordains all things that come to pass. So, a chance can't do anything because chance isn't anything. Chance isn't anything, right? Chance is just a mathematical possibility. So, in other words, when you roll the dice, there's a mathematical possibility or probability that it lands on a certain number, right? That's chance, but there's no power behind that. It's just a mathematical equation. And so that's something that um, these people say that the world just happened by chance. Well, if it's a mathematical possibility, then where did the math even come from? You know, where, where did the dice come from? <laughs> you know, where did these things come from that caused this to so magically come together? I mean, there has to be power behind something that created there you design obviously indicates a designer and we've gone through some of those whenever we went through all the the, um, 
the stuff that we went through uh, last week and the week before um, when we started talking about apologetics. So there's no such thing as chance. Chance has no being. We talked about being and what it what being means. Uh, we've gone into that word quite a bit to understand that that that's a pretty big word throughout theology, even starting as far back as Plato. And we can understand that there that there is nothing to chance. There's no person. There's no being. No substance. And so chance isn't something that can has power to create, right? And so God is sovereign. This is one of the things that says, well, then some God, you know, if it's not chance, then what caused all this? Well, a sovereign God caused all this, and that's what Scripture tells us, right? That God is perfectly sovereign over all of his creation and he's the one that created this world and also the next point here says God reigns over human will now this doesn't mean that humans do not have free will okay but that God is sovereign over the free will of man and so free will of man is only free to choose what their strongest desires are and so that's what we talk about it whenever we go on into Romans chapter 5 that we just read. It starts talking about how that sin was from our father Adam and it was imputed to all of his offspring. It was imputed to us. So in other words, something changed in us. Adam was created with this will that was free, perfectly free, truly free. And all of his offspring are born with it being contaminated by sin, which means that it's, we still say that humans have free will, but their free will is only free to choose what their strongest desire is, and what their strongest desire is, is to sin, because we are born with the sin nature. So it's truly, it's not truly free, it's, it's a f contaminated free, right? It's, con it's contaminated, free will has been contaminated by sin and so Proverbs 21.1 says the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord he turns it wherever he wishes wherever he wishes this is talking about kings so God controls kings he's sovereign over kings if he's sovereign over kings and he turns them wherever he wishes just like channels of water then he does the same thing over us the next question, the next point says, human autonomy does not exist. Only God is truly free. His freedom overreaches our freedom. We are only autonomous within the limitations of what God has ordained, which isn't autonomy, it is limited freedom. So this is something that I think is important for us to understand. When you talk about autonomy, autonomy means that you are absolutely free to do whatever you want to do. Um, and only God is free to do whatever he wants to do. And he's only free to, to, to do that within his true character and his true nature, which is what we've been studying. And so we know that God operates within his attributes. He operates within being perfectly just, perfectly loving, perfectly uh, merciful, you know, perfectly holy. All these things that we've been studying about God, he operates within these attributes. 
And it's not because he's made up of these attributes. It's because these attributes are who he is and they radiate from him, right? And so God is truly autonomous where man is not. We are limited by many, many things. Many, many things. Government limits us. Scripture limits us. And most importantly, sin. Because sin is passed on to us from Adam and so what we want to do is to sin. That is our strongest desire until Jesus comes, until, until we hear the gospel. And Jesus comes into our lives and washes us clean. And that's why that scripture says, now you're free. You have been set free from the wages of sin. That's because you are in bondage. You are a slave. You're not autonomous. And so for the first time in your life, you are set free whenever you hear the gospel and God saves you, right? So that's, that's a really important language for us to understand. Ephesians 1.11. Okay. Ephesians 1.11 says, Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. So what you can do here is you can see that there's four things going on. You can underline the word predestined, you can underline the word purpose, you can underline the word counsel, and you can underline the word will. And so what we're seeing here is that there is an order. There is an order to the way that God operates. And he's telling us in scripture how that he operates, right? And so the first thing that we see here, if we put these in order, first came this counsel, right? So there's a counsel. What, who's the counsel between? The Trinity. Yeah, this reinforces that what we studied back at the beginning, the Trinity. God doesn't counsel with man. Who counsels God, right? So God counsels within the Trinity. This is the thing that happens first, okay? We see that there is a counsel that happens. That counsel is in the Trinity. And so out of this counsel comes their will. That's that, that other word I told you to underline. So they have a counsel. Out of their counsel comes their will, and their will also includes providence, which is something that we haven't covered yet. The providence of God, which is something that's really cool. And so then out of their will came their purpose. That's that other word there. According to his purpose, right? So that's the third thing. So here's the order, right? Counsel, will, purpose. So if there's a purpose to God, a counsel, a will, a purpose, then there is no plan B, right? There's, there is no plan B with God. Because God is sovereign. And so this gives us comfort and it keeps us from second guessing uh, what's going to happen in our lives. What, what is in store in our future, right? But because God is perfectly sovereign and he has a purpose to our lives. And that purpose is to glorify him in all things. Well then, we don't have to dread what's going to happen in our future because we know that God is working all these things out for us, right? So that's something that's very comforting to us, to know that he has a purpose. <laughs> and that purpose involves us. That, that purpose includes us, right? And so that's good. And then finally, God predestines, okay? He predestines. And that is was a result of their counsel, their will, and their purpose, right? And now he predestines things. So in other words, this is a guarantee. This is something that is guaranteed in Scripture. I like guarantees. 
especially ones from God. That's, that's a guarantee that I know that I can depend on. I know I can depend on. This is something that's very, very comforting. And then there's another example here of God's sovereignty. And the next point says, Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. That, does that not blow your mind? You know, that goes back to what, I, what I've, I've talked about a couple times in this class, is I'm amazed at the love of God, that he knew what was going to happen before he created us. He knew that Adam was going to rebel. He knew that the whole planet was going to turn against him, shake their fist against him, and would be hopeless. That we would have turned his enemies instead of glorifying him as intended, right? He knew that, and he knew that he would have to redeem us somehow. And the way that he was going to do that is by sending Jesus Christ, taking on truly man, right? Being truly man, taking on a body of a man, and um, and he was it was more than a body, a body, a soul. So we say that he was truly man. He was born of a Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect life, and it was a hard life. <laughs> he lived a very difficult life, but even beyond that. We think of what happened to him whenever he was sent to Calvary, right? And how terrible that was. And so we see here that Jesus is slain before the foundation of the earth. And this was something that was known and planned out before the planet ever was created. Acts 2.23 says, This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Wow. You know, wow, that's amazing. What love is that? What love is this? This is a love that we cannot comprehend. This is a love beyond our ability to understand that God created these creatures that he knew that one day he would have to to endure such tremendous suffering for in order to redeem. That's amazing. That's amazing. That that really makes me want to appreciate the gospel even more. Don't it, you guys? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the next point here says, or the question, question says, is God sovereign over Satan? What do you guys think? I don't know if you can say that they don't... Uh, we know that some people don't believe that. But within Christianity, even, I think there's some people that this doesn't register. You know, it, It's like they know it, but they don't live their lives like that. right? And I think there's a lot of things like that. You know, There's a lot of things that we hear in church, a lot of things that we know, but it's just a knowledge that rattles around in our head. And then when things happen, circumstances happen, we respond like Satan's in control. <laughs> we respond like we respond like oh you know I'm powerless here you know Satan Satan's behind this he's you know he's the one that's ca causing my car not to start or, <laughs> or whatever and uh, <clears throat> or sinister things right I better call up God because I'm sure he missed this one <laughs> yeah that's right that's right so that's why it's important for us to think about these things and and to get that head knowledge down into our responses, right? 
and how that we react, how that we respond, and understanding that there's nothing that Satan can do to us because he is uh, under God. God is sovereign over Satan, and we can see many examples of that in Scripture. You know, of course, the most famous one is what? What comes to mind automatically whenever I say that? Anybody? It's a whole book of the Bible. Yeah, Job. Job, absolutely. Job, yeah. And then we even see it even whenever Jesus was tempted in the desert. You know, how Satan was trying to convince him to do things because he had no power, right? He had no power. And of course, Jesus did not listen to him at all. So, this is, uh, this is something that is important for us to know that Satan is just a tool in the hand of God. He's just a tool in the hand of God. Satan was spoken into existence. Just like the rest of creation. He didn't exist with the Trinity. He did, he's not eternal. He doesn't have a seity. Right? He is dependent on things. And that dependence is upon his creator. He couldn't exist if God for a second didn't want him to. He would disappear just as quickly as he appeared when God spoke him into existence. So Satan is um, just a tool that God sometimes uses to bring about his will. And just like he did with Job, we see that Job came to know God in a greater way and to do God's will because he allowed, actually even told Satan, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> you know? Uh, so we can see that also with Joseph's brothers, right? Joseph's brothers, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, right? right. We can see this with Judas. We can see this with Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus Christ. If he wouldn't have, there would be no cross, right? So we can see that there is these things that God used Satan to bring about his will to be done because that's the reason Jesus came to this earth, right? So, <clears throat> any questions or thoughts on that? I know that's kind of a deep subject. We're going pretty quick. Got a lot of, a lot of territory to cover, so any thoughts or comments or anything so far? Well, the kind of thing that you hear um, from people when you go in this direction, just out in the world, even Christians, is, okay, then, was it God's will that I was abused as a child? Yeah. Was it God's will that my parent was murdered or, or what have you? And I know we covered some of the, the different ways of looking at the will of God. But yeah. Might not be a bad idea to summarize that again. You know, yeah. Apply it to this. Yeah. You know, people that ask that question, they don't. I don't think they understand what happened with Adam and how that the world was created and in the beginning what God created was good, right? He says it is good. My creation is good. And then he creates man and he says it's very good, right? Man is very good. Everything was good and perfect. There wasn't any sin. But sin entered in with Adam. Adam and Eve, right? And that's what it talks about in, in, in chapter 5. And God allowed that to happen. He ordained it. So it's not good that evil exists. It's not, it's not, evil isn't good. 
but yeah, I said that backwards. Evil isn't good, but it's good that evil exists. Basically, it's what is what what I'm trying to say. So, in other words, evil isn't a thing. We know that evil isn't some substance that floats around in the in the universe and jumps on people and causes them to do a certain thing. But evil is a response. It's an action, and that goes back to how that we have um, free will to the extent of where that we are only free to choose what our strongest desire is when we're outside of Christ and that strongest desire is sin and God allows us to do that. God allows sin to happen and he allows bad things to happen and in a way he ordains that to happen or it couldn't happen. Right? We talked about that when we went over the wills of God that if he um, he could start some he could stop my heart from beating. He could stop something instantly. And so in that manner, because he doesn't stop it, in a way, he has to ordain it. He, he, it's not that he causes it. He's not the author of evil. He never causes sin. God does not cause sin. He does not cause evil. He's not the author, the originator of it. But rather, he steps back and he lets out sometimes us to do what our strongest desire is. But even that is limited. And we see that in Romans chapter five or chapter one, and we'll, we may read that in a minute. But we see this thing called common grace. So the world would be much, much more wicked if God didn't give common grace to people. So it rains upon the just and the unjust, right? So we see that because it rains on both the just and the unjust, as it talks about in Scripture, that God has a type of grace that He has upon even people that are unjust. And so. In a way, he restrains evil from being as evil as what it really should be. And in Romans chapter 1, and as a matter of fact, let's just read it. Romans chapter 1. So we can see this common grace. We can see this common grace. In Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them for since the creation of the world his invisible invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their spe speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corrupt corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Now, this is important. Therefore... God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So here we see this common grace is removed in a way. But it's still restrained. There's grace, and then therefore, I'm just going to let you do what you want to do. I'm going to pull this common grace back a little bit and let you be a little bit more wicked. Let's, let's read some more. It says, For this reason, 
God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women engaged in natural functions for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abounded, abominate, <laughs> abandoned the, na the natural functions of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, what happens? Another layer of grace is pulled back. God gave them over to a depraved mind. So see, there's another response. So there's the degree of wickedness. God sees it. He says, I'm going to just pull a little bit of common grace back and let you, you know, that's what you really want to do? I'll let you really be wicked. Oh, you want to keep doing that? I'm going to pull some more common grace back. And he does this until all of a sudden they're given over to a depraved mind and they can't even determine what's right from what is wrong. That's where we're at today in this world. And so, you know, whenever people, when bad things happen in this world, whenever people are abused as a child or whenever, you know, there's worse, you know, there's, there's some terrible things that happens out there. We've all seen it, all, all heard stories and probably know people that have had really bad childhoods or may be having a bad childhood currently. Um, we know that this isn't God. It's not his will. It's not the author of evil. But he's just pulling some common grace back and he's letting people do what they want to do to be free to sin, you know. And even that is still restrained. Because we say, you know, it's really interesting when you get to the book of Revelation. One of uh, the trumpet judgments is that God pulls grace out completely common grace. And we, we even see that in one of the seal judgments. In one of the seal judgments, men begin killing men, right? He's, you know, and then it just gets worse and worse. So there's this layer of common grace that just continues to get pulled back till there is no more common grace. And the world becomes chaos during the time of the tribulation. And so we can see that these are all the way that people really truly are in their hearts. The Bible says that our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can understand that? Who can know that? Who can know the heart of man? Um, God knows the heart of man, and he restrains it to a degree. If he didn't restrain it, then everybody would be like Adolf Hitler, right? So in order for the world to function, in order for Christians to have churches and to be able to spread the gospel, and for his will to be accomplished, he does restrain evil to a, to a degree. It would, it would be much worse if he just removed his hands and said, okay, go for it, guys. And that's what happens in the end. So it's a scary time, scary thing to, to, to think about. So does that answer your question? Yes. I know that was a long answer. <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes I, I talk too long. So. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, so we're going to look at God's sovereignty in three different areas. In three different areas. We're going to look at his sovereignty in creation. We're going to look at his sovereignty in history. And we're going to look at his sovereignty in salvation. In salvation. So these are the three things that we're going to be tackling and, and taking a look at. Um, the next thing we're going to get into is God was sovereign in creation and over and over creation. So he's sovereign in creation and over creation, right? That's the next thing we're going to get into. And we only have five minutes, so I, don't, I think we'll probably just hold it off till next week.
and we'll jump into that one. And we'll stop it there and just um, open it up if any guys have any questions or more comments on what we've talked about so far. I, I think my very favorite topic is the holiness of God. I love the holiness of God. It's it's my favorite thing to talk about. But the sub, the sovereignty of God is one of my favorite topics as well because it it really is comforting the more that we understand God and, and understand that He's in control no matter what's going on in our lives. We can depend on Him. We know we've already gone through attributes of He's here with us. He's present. He's not far away and removed. He's in this room right now. He's with us when we're at home. He's in this, He's with us when we're in the car, when we're at work, when we're going through hard times, when we're going through good times, God's always with us. He's always here, and He's always in control of every situation, even though sometimes we can't see the big picture. And sometimes people don't see the, the big picture in their life. There's people that don't have all the answers, but even whenever they reach death, but they will whenever they stand before God, right? All this will be revealed. Everything's going to make sense. And many times, there's many examples that um, that we do see the big picture. Sometimes it's years later. And sometimes it's weeks later. But um, we also don't have to fret about politics. Yeah. <laughs> Proverbs 21:1: The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. So That's right. Sometimes we look at what's going on. I think we have to consider the possibility that we're a nation or even a world under discipline, and yeah. so God's given us wicked leaders. Mm -hmm. That's right. I'm not talking about one party or the other right now. It's all the same, <laughs> in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's all. It's all corrupt. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Although you, it's, it's an interesting point, though, that when the Lord does stand back and say, okay, man, let's see how you run things. Mm -hmm. How fast. Mm -hmm. I mean, not, you know, we, we can't even keep it going, much less make it better. That's right. And so, yeah, it's, it's really a remarkable, I think, insight that should, I think, maybe brings people to the Lord. If they're paying attention in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how God works through things and and is sovereign over everything. And it's also interesting, you know, I, I brought up the book of Revelation. I'm teaching through the book of Revelation in, in another study. And we, we just went over how that um, God starts bringing all this wrath and judgment upon the earth to the point to where that men hide in caves. Mm -hmm. They try to hide from God. And then when they come out of the caves, they curse God rather than repent. They refuse to repent, even though they know that God exists by this point. It's just amazing, you know. It's amazing. And so that's why that we just have to trust God in, in everything, in every circumstance, and in every prayer, and every person that we're praying for their salvation. Uh, we just have to, to trust in God's sovereignty and trust that He's good and perfect and what He's going to do is righteous and right. Um, and that's that's something comforting. It's something very comforting to to know that it's not up to me. If it was up to me, I would just wreck it. <laughs> I would just make a mess of it. But thank, I'm sure you guys are should be happy that it's not up to me. <laughs> and you should be happy that it's not up to you too. All right. All right. Well, very good. Very good. Rick, would you dismiss us? I'd love to.